Well, good evening, everybody. <clears throat> I'm here for your listening. I'm here for your listening pleasure tonight, and I'm uh, I want to sing a cappella. And so I feel I'm that good. So, you know, you guys can tell me. No, I'm not going to sing tonight. Uh, and those of you over there in the, in the West Wing, you know, just, just, you know. You... Oh, not you. I'm talking about those two. Come on in. No, I'm not going to do that. You better head for the hills if I'm going to do that. Listen, I hope you've had a great week. The, uh, the musicians... Uh, aren't able to work tonight. We've got musicians out uh, with kidney stones and, and ladies deciding to have babies. And, uh, you know, that's what happens when you have young, you know, irresponsible, weak people, you know, leading worship. So anyway, no, we're, uh, we're going we're gonna to have fun tonight uh, doing a little crash course on experiencing God. And so Levi, since you're a drummer, that means you've got energy. Would you mind, would you and Adam make sure everybody gets one of these pieces of paper? Because we're going to do a crash course on one of my favorite courses, and it's just kind of a, a review of experiencing God. And I want to really work on reality number six. Um, so we're going to talk about that tonight. And then afterwards, we're going to pray for some specific areas. So I want you to be thinking if you'd be willing to lead a prayer tonight. Uh, we're going to pray for, these are some things I wrote down. I want us to pray tonight for our sick, Pastor Mike included, um, and those that are sick in our church. Uh, I want to talk about our, our church and our community outreach and pray for that. And I want somebody to pray for our nation, specifically the abortion issue that is, is, a, is in our country now. And I think the church needs to make a stand on that. And then our world. Uh, and uh, pray for the, the relief of this pestilence, this pandemic, so that the world can get back to doing, and so that we can get back to doing our mission work all around the world. So those are some things we'll pray about at the conclusion of this tonight. Does everybody got a sheet? So you've heard this story before, but in 1990, our church in First Baptist, Tawanda, Kansas, uh, I was 20-some years old, and uh, was my wife, Michelle, was pregnant with our fifth child. And so we were taking this pilot program called Experiencing God. And Michelle and I were so moved by it. I think as a result, that was one of the contributing factors to me surrendering to the, the ministry. And um, Michelle was very, very pregnant with Chelsea, our, our youngest. And uh, she went into labor on the last day of uh, finishing Experiencing God, but it really changed our lives. And so it took me about three years to talk Lewis Bratton into teaching Experiencing God. When he finally took the time to read through the material, he comes into my office and he sits down and he says, Todd, this is amazing. And I said, Three years later, you're telling me this is amazing? And we just kind of laughed and talked about it. And so I remember him lining up Jane Edwards. Um, let's see, Joey Scott, um, I'm trying to think who else was some of the, and of course, Lewis taught the course. And so it really went well. And, and we've taught this as more or less as a staple for discipleship for years. But if you've never taken experience in God, uh, if you're new to First Baptist or never had the chance, you need to take experience in God. There's seven realities uh, I taught last, last semester in discipleship. There's just a brief example of those seven realities, which is really good. Kind of gets you a taste for it. But there's seven realities that, that Henry Blackaby um, 
come to understand as he really sought the will of God and how to experience God. And he come up with these. He said, number one, look on your sheet, God is always at work around you. Now these adverbs here are, are extremely important. Um, when he says God's at work around you, that's one thing, but God is always at work around us. Even when we don't think he's working, he's working. We just don't see it or we don't understand. We don't have a, a, a total, um, uh, we, we, sometimes we have lenses over what we see the Holy Spirit's doing. And, and sometimes we have foggy lenses and, and we don't see what the Holy Spirit's up to until another circumstance comes along. But we have to understand that God's always at work around us. Number two, God pursues, that's another word, he pursues. Um, God doesn't just want to have a loving relationship with us. He pursues us. Now, Ken, did you pursue Darlene? Did you now? Did, did he, Darlene, did he pursue you or did you pursue him? <clears throat> or was it mutual? Okay. But you know, when a love relationship, we all understand that. But sometimes we don't think that God pursues a love relationship with us. He is the pursuer. He pursues a continuing love relationship with you that's real and it's personal. Not only does he work around us always, not only does he pursue us, but he invites you to become involved with his work. A lot of times in, in my Christian life, before I understood this principle, I would look around and dream up and try and scheme or find something to do for God. And that sounds admirable. That sounds like something that would be good. But no, my job is to find out where God's at work and join him in his work. That's when you know you're in sync with God. That's when you know you're in the will of God is when you find where God is working and you join him. Don't try and find something to do for God because God's always at work around you. He's pursuing a love relationship with you and so he invites you to become involved with his work. Number four, God speaks four ways. Now, I've, I've always heard a lot of people say, I just don't hear God speak. Well, it's because you're not listening. And you haven't read the Bible to see how God spoke in the Old Testament, how God speaks in the New Testament. But if you look at the totality of the Bible and you, and you look at how he's worked with people through the Bible, he speaks four ways. He speaks through the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances and the church to reveal himself, his purposes and his ways. Now, this reality is important because it's also in the correct order. Uh, Wes has just went through this with me. God speaks through the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, first and foremost. Okay? Uh, whenever you are trying to find out if it's God speaking, it's got to be in his word. It's got to be consistent with his word. There's got to be scripture to back it up. Number two, through prayer. Now, a, a, an immature Christian's prayer is a want list. It's a, I need this, I need that, God, please do this for me. God, please keep me safe in this way. But prayer is as much about petition, it's also listening. You know, a lot of times we get done speaking and we say, in Jesus' name, amen, right? Have we ever spoke to God and then waited for him to answer? Try it sometime. Allow the Holy Spirit to work who lives in you to talk to you after you're finished talking. 
The Holy Spirit has an amazing ability to work through your mind and through your emotions. And as he talks to you through your mind, he will bring to mind things that he wants you to do. He will bring to mind things that he's brought you through. He will bring to mind things that you are worried about. But there's something about listening and being silent with God and letting him speak to you. So he speaks by by the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through prayer, and then circumstances. God does speak through circumstances. If, if something happens that you had no control of, and that it, it's, it's consequential in your life, you have to believe that God is always at work around you, in your circumstances as well. And he speaks to you through your circumstances. He might guide through your circumstances by your plant closing. He might guide through circumstances uh, by someone dying or by bringing someone into your life. Circumstances is, is good. Circumstantial evidence of God doing things in your life is very interesting if we are willing to keep our eyes open and watch and see what God is doing physically around us as well. But it's the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. So how does God speak through the church? Is it, has God ever spoke to you through the church? Well, think about this. There are godly people who follow Jesus at First Baptist Church who have tried their best to live a, a, a God-centered life in his direction for a, a long amount of time. And when they do that, they have wisdom. And if you had everyone, anyone ever come and talk to you and say, you know, I think God's telling me to tell you this, and it'd be exactly what you needed to hear, they may not have known that you were looking at a different job or that you... I've had people speak into my life that have a well-worn path to the Lord. And when they speak, I'm going to listen. When all of these things line up, when the Holy Spirit allows you to see Scripture, you pray about it, and He leads you to another Scripture, or He leads you to somewhere else to go do something, and then circumstances line up, and people in the church are telling you things that they had no clue about, you better, you better come to the understanding that God is trying to speak to you in a very eloquent, distinct manner that only he can do. And that's the sweet spot. That's where you really want to be. It's where your, your antennas are up, you're listening, you're reading, you're, God's bringing people around you that are speaking into your life. That's an amazing thing when God speaks that way. So that's reality number four. Number five reality is God has an invitation here for you to work with him as he leads you to a crisis of belief. Anytime God will come into your life and tell you that he wants you to do something or show where, you, where he's at work, and all of a sudden you say, oh, I can't do that. Bingo. That's where God wants you. Because if you can do it on your own, if you, now Neil's, Neil, I talked today earlier, he's a civil engineer. And if I call him about something, he knew exactly what to do. And he's got, I did call him by the way, and he hadn't called me back, but I've made the call. So anyway, 
there's a such thing as intellectual things that we know, okay? Th that's true. But when God tells us that he wants us to, okay, th take Moses. What, did, what are some things that led Moses to a crisis of belief? Think about it. You remember the staff and the snake? Was there a crisis of belief there? What did he do? God said, well, he's asking God, you know, how are they going to follow me? How are they going to know? He said, well, take your staff, throw it down. What happened when he threw it down? It turned into a snake. Now, if your staff turns into a snake and then God tells you to pick it back up, that's a crisis of belief for me. I hate snakes. Any snake I see is a dead snake. If God can curse a snake, I can kill it. That's my motto. Now, I don't know if that's scriptural or not. That's just Todd's gospel, okay? But if, if, <laughs> if, it's, if I see a snake, it's a dead snake. I don't care if it's black and it's good and it's good for the environment and it kills rats and everything else. I'd rather have a rat than a snake any day. I'll, I, don't, I can stomp on a rat. But you know what I'm saying, though? God leads people to a crisis of belief. What about Joshua? Did God lead Joshua to a crisis of belief? Who died and then God put Joshua in place? Moses. Moses is dead. Okay. You're going to lead the children of Israel in the promised land. Oh, but wait. And he said, no, just go do it. And he's worried. God will always lead us. Look how it's worded here. God's invitation for you to work with him always, not sometimes, always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires what? Faith and action. Okay? Just remember that. Then, once this crisis of belief has happened and you have to show faith and do something with it, number six is where we're going to harp on tonight. We're going to really take the time to look at reality number six. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he's doing. I'll come back to that. Number seven is after you've made these adjustments, you, come to, you have to make the adjustments first. As you make the adjustments, you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. So, all of us know what an adjustment is, but what's the definition of an adjustment? A change. I like that. It's a change. Okay? Tell somebody else give me a word or a definition for adjustment. Rearrange. Sure. A rearrangement. Keep going. An alteration. An alteration. Very good. What else? What's an adjustment mean? Well, I looked up here. If the, the definition is a, an alteration or movement made to achieve a desired fit, appearance, or result. Here's it putting into practice in a sentence. For many couples, there may need to be a period of adjustment. Travis and Rebecca, did you have a period of adjustment? <laughs> yeah, think about it. Okay, how, who in here is over 60 years old? 
All right, do you remember what cars were like when we were growing up? Did we have to do adjustments? I mean, we have computers that make adjustments on cars now, but think about all the adjustments we used to have to make to make. I mean, you had to adjust a fan belt all the time. You had to adjust the front end alignment all the time. You had to adjust the valves if you had a solid lifter camshaft. You, there was always, you had to adjust the dwell on points. Do you remember that? And it was real easy on a Chevrolet because you could stick a little Allen wrench in there and turn the dwell and you could have the meter. And, but on a Ford, you had to pull the striver cap off, guess, and set that just right or maybe get a feeler gauge in there, put it back together, and then see, put the dwell meter on. But things have gotten simpler for us on adjustments with cars. Okay, we've learned how to make adjustments better. The same thing goes along with us. As we follow God, the initial adjustments, the adjustment period is hard. When it's couples, when you first get married, that adjustment period, if you can make it through the first year, you're probably going to make it. If you make it past seven years, you're probably going to make it, you know. Uh, but adjustment is a, an important thing. So that's where we're going to harp on tonight. Reality number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he's doing. Hang on with me tonight. Let's pray. Sid, would you pray for us as we begin tonight now? Amen. Thank you, Sid. So here we go. I'm going to hope that this thing works. It hadn't been used in quite a while, but I've, I've tried it before class started, and hopefully it will work tonight. Um, so we've already done the review, so I can hopefully wake the computer up here. Hold on. There we go. There's the review. We've already been there. There we go. I need all of us to say this together now, okay? So you cannot stay where you are and go with God. Okay, now that wasn't together. We're going to learn to say this together. On three, one, two, three. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. You think that's a good statement? I think it's one of the best statements we can tell the church today. We can't stay where we are at First Baptist Dixon and go with God. In your personal walk, you can't stay where you are and go with God. Do you think God wants to take us somewhere here? Do you think God wants to take you somewhere in your spiritual journey? Levi and I talked in the men's room. That's my office here at First Baptist. <clears throat> Levi and I talked in the men's room. Now, ladies, I don't, know what, I don't want to know what y'all talk about in the ladies' room, okay? But we were talking about a work. And, and I think God wants to take you to a different job. That's something you desire as well. You want to provide for your family. I mean, you cannot stay where you are and go where God wants you to go. God doesn't want you to stay imprisoned 
and, and absolutely at the same place. Listen, some of you can do this. I worked at Beach Aircraft Corporation for 12 years, and I watched people on the line buck the same row of rivets on an airplane fuselage every day, and they knew what time of day they were going to get to work, what, day their break, what time their break was, uh, how long they had for lunch, when they would go back to work, when they would take an afternoon break, and when they would go home. And they knew when the plant shutdown was for two weeks in the middle of summer. Their life was totally controlled, and it drove me crazy because I had to work on the line while I was finishing college. And then when I was able to get into experimental and engineering, I had this freedom to, to do things completely different. And it, oh my, you know, and I, I applaud the people that can, can live a controlled life, a very disciplined life, but that's not for me. I, I like variety. I like, uh, the ministry is perfect for me because I never know from one day to the next uh, whether I'm going to have music tonight or whether the computer's going to work or whether someone's going to need a ministerial need. It is an absolute adventure. Ministry is the greatest adventure for me, and I love it. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's, it's, it's great to see these things happen. But you cannot stay where you are and follow God. Because God is guiding and directing you spiritually to other people to accomplish things. And, and you just, just don't, don't get comfortable at home, okay? Because God might move your home. I'm going back home tomorrow afternoon to help my in-laws, um, but I'm a man with two homes now. Homes and home, my home's always going to be in Kansas, but I, I'm a homeboy in Kansas, but I'm also now, I've been here long enough, I'm a homeboy at First Baptist Dixon, and I love it. You can't stay where you are and go with God. So here we go. We've already looked at uh, adjustments, but here's some more stuff I got from Henry Blackaby's book. When God speaks to you, revealing what he's about to do, the revelation is your invitation to adjust your life to him. Once you've adjusted your life to him, his purposes and his ways, you are in a position to obey. So let's flip that. Are you in a position to obey if you haven't made the adjustments? No. Why? Yes, you have to make major adjustments to follow God. And until you are willing to make those adjustments, God's not going to allow you to be obedient to do what he's called you to do. So, his adjustments prepare you for obedience. You cannot live as usual, stay where you are, and go with God at the same time. This is truth throughout Scripture. Look at the people in Scripture here. Um, Noah. Noah could not continue as usual and build an ark at the same time. How many of you have been to the ark up and around Cincinnati? It's an amazing piece. Do you think it took a little time to build the ark? I still find it absolutely fan fascinating that shipbuilders today still build boats by the same, what do you call it? The, help me. Say what? Yeah, it's the same geometry that, that God told Noah years ago. That's what all these boats float around the oceans today to do. <laughs> it's okay, Neil. You can turn that. Just flip that little switch right there on the left. It, it silences it. 
Noah could not continue as usual and build an ark at the same time. Abraham couldn't stay in Ur and father a nation in Canaan. Moses couldn't stay on the backside of the desert herding sheep and stand before Pharaoh at the same time. Now, I think Pharaoh really would have loved to have stayed with his new bride in the backside of the desert with his nice father-in-law and, and, and not, uh, not have to do anything, but God told him, told him to go and speak to Pharaoh. Do you think he had a crisis of belief then? Yeah, I don't even speak good, he said. How am I going to go speak to the king? He's going to throw me out of there. David had to leave his sheep to become a king. Amos had to leave the sycamore trees in order to preach in Israel. Jonah had to leave his home and overcome a major prejudice in order to preach in Nineveh. Now, let's talk about that in a minute. Do we have prejudices? Jonah blows me away. What was going on in Nineveh? What type of people were the Ninevites? What had they done to his people, to his family, to his sisters? What? Yes, absolute enemies. They'd raped his family. They had done horrific things to him, and God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now we know the story. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Peter... Andrew, James, and John had to leave their fishing business in order to follow Jesus. Oh, now, wait a minute. Anybody here got businesses? You don't anymore. You sold it. <laughs> Some of us know what it's like to have business, and it's great. But what if God tells you to give up your business to follow him? That's a crisis of belief. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's see if this thing will go one more here. Matthew had to leave his tax collector's booth to follow Jesus. Now, Matthew, tax collector. You think there was any money he had to give up to follow Jesus? I think so. Saul, who became Paul, had to completely change directions in his life in order to be used of God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. A certain ruler in Luke chapter 18 asked him, meaning Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not commit adultery, don't murder, nor steal. You should not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And he says, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard that, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Do you think that's a major adjustment? <laughs> this guy is the epitome of success. In fact, he's done very well at everything he's done. And he's even principled. He's even done all the right things. And Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Mr. Green, you want to do that? Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. That's called a crisis of belief. When God comes to you and tells you to do something, 
And you have to decide, am I willing to give up everything and follow him? That's a crisis of belief. You'll have treasure in heaven, come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what's impossible with man is possible with God. So there's some kind of adjustments that we need to make. They may not be as dramatic as the rich young ruler. They may not be as dramatic as Moses or some of the others that we looked at here. But what circumstances do you need to adjust? What are your circumstances? What's your job like? What's your home like? Does your home rule you? Let me tell you something. If you're spending all your time working and then you're coming home managing your wealth and you don't have time for God or your family, you have too much home. But here's what America does. We not only have home, we have a vacation home. We have a lake house. Now I know I'm stepping on some people's toes, but God tells us to follow him, not follow materialism. Materialism will always be in the way of following him. In your relationships, you have family, friends, business relationships. We talked about that Sunday. But what kind of adjustments do you need to make in your relationships? There's some people that profess to be Christians in Dixon that I've had to make some adjustments with. Because they don't build me up, they bring me down. And if I make that phone call, they're going to bring me down. You have to make major adjustments to follow God. And sometimes in those relationships, you're going to have to do that. How about in your thinking? I'd already brought up prejudices. Um, anyone who works with me knows I have a strong opinion. But sometimes my opinions aren't right. Um, I need to, sometimes I'm guilty of stinky thinking. Sometimes I'm guilty of relying too much on my past experience and not trusting God. I think as older you get, the more supposedly wisdom you get and the more experience you get, but sometimes you're still wrong. And it's really important that I need to stay in the Word of God or I'll miss God. So in your thinking, make sure you're not prejudiced about certain people or things that will cloud your mind. Always be ready for God to do the impossible in someone just like Saul. Who's the souls in your life that God's trying to bring in that, you know, or who are, who are the people that, that can really make a godly change and you're just in their way because you won't give them the time of day? So it's, it's very important that we, we make some adjustments in our lives, in our thinking, our prejudices, and our own potential. Sometimes we think, well, I'm not made for that, or no, I'm no good at that, or whatever. Some, God may be leading you to that. How about in your commitments, your family, your church, your job, and your plans? Um, I really want to encourage you to, to put family as a high priority, but don't put it before God. 
your personal relationship with God. Don't put your children before your spouse. Your personal relationship with God should be first. Then your spouse and your family, then your church, and then your career. If you get any of those mixed up out of order, you're still scheduled for disaster. You've got to keep these things alive in your life and, and working right. So in your commitments to family, church, your job, plans, make sure you're making the right adjustments that you need to. How about in your actions? How you pray? How you give? I had a Bible study over at the YMCA yesterday with some guys, and uh, we just started talking about giving. And these guys are successful businessmen. Three of them own their own business, and two of them are, in, are working for someone else, but it's very lucrative. And they talked about how God has really had to discipline them in that. But it's funny how their wives are always willing to write the check, and they're not. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, just, just trust. If there's only one place in the Bible that, that, that God says, trust me, test me with this, and see if I won't pour open the windows of heaven and, and put more things in your barn that you want to be able to receive it all. How about your actions? How you pray? How you give? How you serve? How about your beliefs? What do you believe about God? You might need to make some adjustments about what you believe about God. You know, Sunday I told you that we serve an ambitious God. But that's only one adjective. There's, we serve a God who is much bigger and more able to do things than we could ever imagine. So in your beliefs about God, his purposes and his ways, you need to make some adjustments in your beliefs. But the hardest part in adjusting your life to God is taking an action that demonstrates your faith. What is it, James? It says, I'll show you my faith by my works. Yeah. So obedience is costly. You can't stay where you are and go with God at the same time. Obedience is costly. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I've read this a lot of times, <clears throat> but I read it in the, the message and it really brought some things to life. This is what Paul had to do and this is how he suffered to be obedient to God. You might want to just make a notes of what I'm about to read to you as you are in the side of your Bible. But this is, this is what Eugene Peterson took Paul's words in, in, uh, in, Hebrew, in Greek and, and translated. Here it is. Let me come back to where I started. And don't hold it against me if I continue to... Did I, yeah, we got the scripture up there. Verse 24. I'm going to back up to um, 16. Let me come back to where I started, verse 16, and don't hold it against me if I continue to sound a little foolish, or if you'd rather just accept that I'm a fool and let me rant for a little. I didn't learn this kind of talk from Christ. Oh, no, it's a bad habit I picked up from the three-ring preachers that are so popular these days. Since you sat there in judgment in the judgment seat observing all these shenanigans, you can afford to humor an occasional fool who happens along. You have such admirable tolerance for imposters who rob your freedom, rip you off and steal you blind, put you down, even slap your face. I shouldn't admit it to you, but our stomachs aren't strong enough to tolerate that kind of stuff. 
And since you admire the egomaniacs of the pulpit so much, remember this, your old friend, the fool, talking. Let me try my hand at it. Do they brag of being Hebrews, Israelites, the pure race of Abraham? Well, I'm their match. Are they servants of Christ? I can go one better. I can't believe I'm saying these things. It's crazy to talk this way, but I started and I'm going to finish. I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beat up more times than I can count, and at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times, immersed in the open sea for a night, a whole night, and a full day. In hard traveling year in and year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in this city, at risk in the country, endangered by a desert sun and sea storm, betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor as many a long, lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold and naked to the weather. And that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and the anxieties of all the churches, when someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. When someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. I have to brag about my, if I have to brag about myself, I'll brag about the humiliations that make me like Jesus. The eternal and blessed God and the Father of our Master Jesus knows what I'm, that I'm not lying. Remember the time I was in Damascus and the governor of King Arteus posted guards at the city gates to arrest me? I crawled through a window in the wall and was let down by a basket and had to run for my life. The Apostle Paul is a great example of what obedience is going to cost. You know, we're not a friend of the world. And it's amazing to me to watch how the media today makes Christians look like fools. Look like they, we don't know what we're talking about. We don't have the understanding of, of what reality is and what is right. And we're bigots and we're not tolerant. It, the, nothing has changed. There's nothing new under the sun. But obedience to Christ is costly even in t today's world. It's going to cost you. Obedience is costly not only to those, not only you, but to those around you. Come on, screen. There, obedience is costly not only to, the, to you, but to those around you. Flip in your Bibles to Acts 17, 1 through 9. When you're obedient to God, other people will suffer. Look at what happened in Thessalonica in Acts 17. Now, I had to look up in my book, Pronouncing Bible Names. If you want to you know, impress your Sunday school class, you know, look ahead and then give this book called Pronouncing Bible Names. And then you can look it up and, and say it. Now, I, I had to write this down. But when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and, raise, and be raised from the dead. 
This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house. Anybody know Jason? They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world. And now I've come here, and and Jason has welcomed them into the house. They're all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and they made Jason and the others post-bond, and then they let him go. Whenever, and, and there's many other places through Scripture. That's just one I found real briefly. But if you're obedient to God, your family's going to suffer, and those closest to you will suffer as well. But God speaks through suffering. God does his best work through suffering. And the reason I can say that is when I've suffered, I've grown. And so just understand that obedience is going to cost you something. You must declare a total dependence on God. He said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and if you remain in me and I am you, then you'll bear fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I have been crucified with Christ, he says in Galatians 2.20. I don't no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The faith I now have in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Next scripture is um, Isaiah 41.10. Come on. So I don't fear... For I'm with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Wow. So in Isaiah uh, 46, just five chapters further, he says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I'm God and there's no one like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times and what is still to come. God's making it known through his word. I say my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. From the east, I summon the bird of prey. From the far off land, a man will fulfill my purpose. What I've said, I will bring out and what I have planned, that I will do. So when I get to worrying about world events, I go to Isaiah 46. Look at what he said. I'm making known what happened in the beginning all the way to the end. What's still to come. My purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From summoning a bird of prey from a far off land to a man fulfilling my purpose for him and my purpose for what I want to do. What I've said, I'll bring about what I have planned that I will do. I'm going to have to back up here, I guess. There. So you must declare the total dependence on God through prayer. When God encounters you, you face a crisis of belief that may require major adjustments. So pray. prayer will be exceedingly costly to you. You may need to let God wake you up in the middle of the night to pray. 
it may not be your bladder. Don't mistake your bladder for God. God may use your bladder to wake you up. But when your mind starts racing, do you guys do that in the middle of the night? You wake up and you just, your mind starts racing and you can't go back to sleep? That's God saying, listen to me. Let's pray. Let's talk. I don't know how many times I've had to get up, turn on my nightstand, and start writing something down because God's speaking to me. You may have to let God wake you up in the middle of the night and pray. You may need to spend much time in prayer. I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago who lost his son. And for years, he got up and walked in the woods in the middle of the night because he couldn't sleep. And so he just walked in the woods and he prayed with God and God got him through it. I don't know what you've got to do, but God wants to get your attention and, and don't, uh, don't take some sleep medicine to go back to sleep. Take some medicine from the Lord. Times may come when you pray into the night or even all night. Become a person of prayer will require a major adjustment in your life to God. You may have to put that book down. You may have to turn that TV show off. You know, they have DVRs now, and you can just tape it and then watch it later. You don't have to watch it in real time anymore. That's kind of a neat feature. But becoming a person of prayer will require a major adjustment in your life. So there's a one little graph here, and we're going to be done. Your faith requires action. When action happens, action actually is a product of your adjustments and your obedience. When you do to those two things, when you have adjustments and obedience, action happens, and then the things that we're demonstrating our faith. We're showing our faith by our works. But I hope you've looked at, at, at number six, the adjustments that we have to make and realize that there's some work to do. So I'm gonna to read to you one last time. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he's doing. If you don't have to make any adjustments in your life to serve God, then you have finally arrived. But the apostle Paul never got there. He said, I've never arrived. The things that I don't wanna do, I do the things that I should do, I don't. And I think it, God never blinded me on a road somewhere. God never had somebody come up and lay hands and pray on me and, my, and the scales fall off my receiving side. I, I, Paul is a hero to me. I mean, he is, the, he is the 13th apostle and he did it in a dramatic fashion to reach all of us Gentiles. Are there any Jewish people in here? He had the most amazing job to go and do three missionary journeys to go all over the place and, and suffer all these things that I just read to you. And he never thought he had arrived. Paul had to constantly make adjustments in his life. And he had to make adjustments in the other disciples' life. He had to go back and talk to Luke and have a big old, big old shout match about why in the world I'm not preaching circumcision to these Gentile people. They're not Jews. 
going to have to do this. And he had to take a stand. He had to make adjust. He even had to do adjustments with the other disciples so that the Gentiles could come into the fold. It's an upward battle. And there's always adjustments to be made. So I pray that, that you'll go home tonight in your prayer time and say, Lord, what adjustments do I need to make in my life so that I can follow you closer? And I guarantee you there's adjustments because I have many I have to make myself. So let's pray. Father, help us to take this lesson that Henry Black had be made 35, 40 years ago. And help us to take your word that you wrote in ancient times to guide us today to make adjustments so that we can follow you. And Lord, I look forward to hearing from these people in the hallways what you have spoken to them through the Bible, prayer, circumstances in the church to reveal yourself to them so that they can follow you and accomplish the purposes that, that you have created them for. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. So, I talked about us having to do a prayer time. <clears throat> we're going to exhibit, we're going to do that. We're going to practice it for the next 10 minutes. I told you at the beginning of the class that we were going to pray about these things, and that's what we're going to do. I hope that somebody here feels led to pray for Pastor Mike and the sick in our church. Who'd like to lead us in that prayer? For Pastor Mike and the other sick people in our church. All right, will you lead us, please? <clears throat>